The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by a guest speaker. The statements, views, and opinions presented in this message are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. That's online, wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. 8474. This morning, we are pleased to welcome the pastor of uh, Trinity Church on Central Oahu in the Hawaiian Islands in the Presbyterian Church of America, uh, Reverend Matt Yusey. Uh, he's the director of Grace Partnership Hawaii, which is a church planting network of Reformed University Fellowship, as well as uh, two of our grads, John Kim and Joel Zahaki, who is uh, here today, are, are serving there as well. And also visiting is uh, P.J. Uh, McColgan, a deacon at the church who is coming under care of the presbytery. So if you're interested in PCA ministry opportunities in Hawaii, uh, please come to a special lunch forum today in Classroom 4. If you want free pizza, please sign up before 10.30 a.m. So you have to run after chapel to go sign up if you haven't already. But uh, let's uh, welcome uh, Pastor Yusey. Is this on? Good morning. It's always a pleasure to come here. It's like a rite of passage to the fall. I come out here every fall. It's my fourth year coming here. What a blessing it is to to minister here with you. Please come to the lunch. Um, I don't know if there's grace on the 1030 uh, line, but but we'll do all we can to get you in classroom four. Normally we have standing room only. Uh, No, I'm kidding. But I'm sure there'll be plenty of pizza for you. So please do come. Uh, I'm going to open God's word for us. And then we'll talk for a little bit. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Revelation chapter 8. At Trinity Church, we've been studying through the book of Revelation. And I must say that through 20 sermons, it has been my favorite to preach through in my 11 years of ordained ministry. And uh, these five verses are mysterious and glorious, and I hope will will bless us. Um, Is it a custom for people to rise for the reading of God's word? Would you please do so? This is Revelation chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, from the English Standard Version. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Please have a seat. Is there anyone here from Minneapolis? Anyone here from Minnesota? Nice. We have a couple. I'm going to mention your fair city right now. In Orfield Labs in Minneapolis, there is the quietest place on earth, according to the Guinness Book of World Records. It is the closest to absolute silence and absolute darkness in existence. In this silent, dark room, experimental technology from computer parts to medical supplies to hearing aids are tested when your phone 
lights up or the lights on your car's dashboard comes on, you don't hear it at all. And that's probably because, in part, it's been tested at a lab like Orfield in Minneapolis. You can actually go there and pay for a tour of this facility in this room. It's remarkably expensive. Um, you go into the room, lights go off, and you don't hear anything. You have to pay at least $150 for a half hour in there. And I, I can't imagine that being a big industry, but maybe we can talk about what life is like in Minneapolis. But apparently, people do it. It's believed that this leads to madness. And after reading this review I'm about to read for you, I'm pretty convinced of it. Absolute silence is filled by the sound of your own body. You can hear your breathing, your heart beating. You can hear the blood in your veins. You can hear your pulse. You can hear your bones rub against each other. You can hear your skin sliding over your muscles. You can hear tendons creak, organs churning. And that's usually about the point where people start hearing things that aren't really there. It starts with hallucinations of noise as the brain tries to fill in what we're so used to being surrounded by. That can lead to nausea and panic attacks. Sit in the dark and it's much, much worse. Without external stimuli, coordination and balance fail. Hallucinations start and within minutes, people are asking to be let out. Most people are insufferably uncomfortable after about 30 minutes. The rare person can last 45 minutes or so, but that's about the limit to our ability to deal with such complete silence." End quote. Sorry for having <laughs> to read that. It's uncomfortable to read. I'm sure it's uncomfortable to hear. Well, in Revelation chapter 6 through 8, the Lamb of God opens the seven seals of the scroll of the plan of God. And as he opens or cracks open the seals, the plan of God for judgments on earth go forth. And we might expect that after the heaven and earth have been dismantled in the sixth seal, all that's left to do is for the Lord Jesus to return, to put an end to his enemies once and for all, and for his people to celebrate and for the wedding feast of the Lamb to commence. But that's not what happens. Instead, there's silence with the seventh seal of the scroll of history that is opened by the Son of God. And then it pivots to a new cycle of judgments, the seven trumpets. One of the darkest and most terrifying realities that a person can face is that God will not hear him or speak to him. Divine silence is judgment in the Bible. No one living now or who has ever lived has faced such a fate in life. All of us share in common grace, and the Lord displays his patience upon all mankind. But in Revelation, we learn it will not always be so. Likewise, the most glorious and comforting reality for the Christian, and I hope for you in your studies today and in your, in your career as a seminarian, is that God hears you and that he is not silent to you because of Jesus. So very briefly, in this interlude in Revelation that connects the seven seals with the seven trumpets, we see two themes on display for us. We see the silence of judgment and then the symphony of prayer. First, the silence of judgment, little context. There are sets of seven in the book of Revelation which paint different portraits of this kind of vision tapestry of history from different perspectives or in different colors, as we may say. The first, we conclude in the first verse of chapter 8, that is where the seventh seal is opened or broken. And looking back in chapters 4 and 5, we're given in that glorious section 
of uh, John appearing before the heavenly throne. He is brought in and he sees what unfolds kind of painted around him in somewhat of a four-dimensional vision. He sees God in the middle, envisioned as the one who sits on the throne, and the Lamb of God is with him. This is the title used for our Lord over and over. He is standing before the throne, or he is in the center of the throne, depending on the translation, standing as if he had been slain. It depicts his death on the cross for our sins and his rising from the dead as death's conqueror. And encircling the Lamb of God and the throne are angels and the souls of countless Countless people worshiping him, people from every tongue and tribe and nation. They're singing a song to God and to the Lamb, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And this vision is kind of the source uh, uh, from which everything else in Revelation flows. The second set of sevens in these visions proceeding from the throne room of heaven begins in verse 2, the seven trumpets. These are patterned after the plagues of Egypt and reflecting the horrible eternal reality, the sinfulness of man finds so appealing in this life. And then later in Revelation, there'll be seven bowls of wrath that are poured out. And it's important that I point this out or else we get out of the mode of how God, uh, through the book of Revelation, communicates with us. He's not giving us in Revelation a chronological t- or a chronology or a timeline that is to be charted and then filled out as we pass through it over the centuries since then. Are we in the seals now? Are we in the temp- trumpets now? When do the bowls show up? Rather, Revelation, as I know you're taught here, is a multifac- multifaceted, recapitulating, multidimensional kind of, kind of tapestry of what proceeds from the throne room of heaven onto earth, vindicating God's people and resulting in the, the eternal, perfect communion between God and his covenant people. Understood in this light, the seventh seal we just read about, the seventh trumpet and the seventh bowl all depict aspects of the same event, and that is the Lord Jesus returning in wrath and in salvation for his people. And the connecting point of this terrifying return for those who do not follow, who do not know him, who do not bend the knee to him in repentant faith is silence. That's how it's depicted, right? And this is verse one again, chapter eight. When the lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now, you know, Revelation never quotes the Old Testament, but virtually every word is dripping in allusion to the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, through the prophets in particular, silence either refers to the awesomeness of being in the presence of God or the judgment of God. It's a, it's a hush before God renders his judgment. And in our context, it's clear that the latter is what is in mind in Revelation 8. Zechariah 2.13, be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. Zephaniah 1.7, be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. We need to recognize as we, as we look around with our senses, in this world it seems crazy at time, that without the mediation of Jesus Christ, God is deaf to the prayers of sinful man. And in the end, this terror will be palpable. It is a dreadful thing to behold. It is a terrifying thing to come into the hand of the holy God. So the silence of judgment. 
But that's not all we see here, is it? We also see the symphony of prayer. I'm going to read verses 3 and 4 again. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. So you have to picture this, and we're called to kind of picture this, experience it by faith, I would say, in the midst of this horrifying silence we are reminded that there is indeed some sound in heaven. In particular, before the seven trumpets will be sounded, we're brought back to the theme of the prayers of God's people and are meant to focus on their volume in the context of God's plan for history. Revelation 5.8. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding up a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So in, in view of this horrifying silence and darkness, a light is shown on prayers, on your prayers, on the prayers of God's people. We must remember as you're, stutter, as you're studying, as you're ministering, God willing, at some point, that prayer is powerful, that God hears your prayers and that he uses them in his eschatological economy. He shines a light on them. He values them. He works because of them according to his eternal decree and his gracious plan as our father. We need to understand that prayer is effective. Rick Phillips, who many of you know in his excellent commentary, gives three helpful roles that the prayers of Christians play according to God's purposes. The first role that prayer plays is that it is the means by which God accomplishes his purpose in history. It's the means. God has ordained that prayers are the means by which he accomplishes his purpose in history. It's commonplace to mock prayer, the effectiveness of it, be it by blogger, reporter, or congressman, or maybe in, in our hearts. I think that our prayers do much. The Christian should give this no true mind. Prayer is not the enemy of action. It's the fuel for action. But more than that, God has ordained that how he works in the world is because of what his people ask him. Though it may feel like your prayers aren't accomplishing much in the trials of your life, let God be true and every man a liar in this regard. Secondly, the prayers of Christians are certain to be received and answered by God. He, he hears us and answers us because of what Jesus has done for us and because of where he sits at the right hand of God for us. It is not his goal that we be fearful, but rather to be comforted by his presence and in prayer, not the apparent ineffectiveness of our prayers, particularly those prayers that we've prayed for years. And there is this beautiful picture in Revelation 8 of silence and darkness and the prayers of the saints rising before the throne. It's like God sees them. God sees and remembers the prayers of his people. It's, it's powerful. It's powerful that God always sees you. He always, he always hears you. One of the joys I find in getting to know my children, I have four, is discovering how their little minds function. Sometimes this happens when they ask what seem to be random 
questions that have nothing to do with what's going on, but when you pry a little deeper, you understand what's going on. I have a seven-year-old, Genevieve, who is uh, amazing. She um, has never met a stranger, and she um, has never been fond of silence. And recently she asked me, Daddy, what are you afraid of? I don't know how to answer that in the moment, you know. I don't know. You know, I'm afraid of things. And she said, are you afraid of getting eaten by a lion? And I live in Hawaii. We don't really have lions. We have a lot of, of cats that just live in Costco parking lot and everywhere. But we don't have lions. And I said, no, I'm not afraid of being eaten by a lion. And she interrupted me and said, so you want to be eaten by a lion? And I said, no baby. And I explained to her, there's a difference between not wanting something to, be, to happen and being actively afraid, having your heart being driven by fear of it. You see, in her mind, her beautiful little mind, the contemplation of horrible things, however unlikely, bring about a tangible fear. This is the point for you. God does not want you, his beloved children, to have anxiety about things that we think could conceivably happen. And here's one of those things, that God won't hear your prayers and he won't answer them. That is a lie. He always hears your prayers. He always answers them according to his will. He never will turn a deaf ear to you. He will never turn a blind eye to you. He will always be with you. He will always be your God beckoning you to pray and his spirit will empower you to pray and will enable you to cry to your God who loves you and who cares you. Christian, your prayers will never be unheard by your God. I'm going to speed up here. Third, the great prayer of the church, finally, is the prayer for the kingdom of Christ to come on earth. In the Lord's Prayer, our Lord commands us to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Our greatest prayer is that the gospel would spread and that the church would grow and be nourished and that Christ would be praised by more people and those people who praise him would worship him in spirit and in truth and that the Lord would return in glory. The book of Revelation ends with the church crying out by the power of the spirit, come Lord Jesus. This is why I minister in Hawaii. This is why you minister everywhere. We want to see The will of God be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is our great prayer. The first Christian missionary came to the Hawaiian Islands in 1820. Before then, darkness, darkness forever, darkness, no gospel, no light. We want to minister, want the voice of Christ to be heard, but how can they hear without a teacher? And how can a teacher go if he is not sent? So this is is what, what binds us to minister amongst a people, 1.4 million people on these little islands, a people who by and large do not know the Lord and who face a terrifying darkness that we cannot contemplate, a terrifying silence that we are to feel, or fear, feel rather. So silence and darkness are perhaps the most terrifying realities to face in life. All the more terrifying is a God who will not hear or speak to him. Divine silence, divine darkness. It's not a coincidence then, friends, that this is exactly what the Lord Jesus received on the cross. Silence in his own defense, nearing the cross. Silence in the heavens. Isaiah 53, 7, he was oppressed 
and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Mark fifteen thirty three and 34, and when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, and at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Silence from the heavens, silence from the Father, as judgment was poured out on the Son. And because of his great work, Jesus speaks on our behalf. Not only are we called to come near in safety, but he is speaking for us. He is for us. He who experienced divine silence and divine darkness speaks for us in light. Now, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Would you be encouraged this day to know that, that God has taken, God the Son has taken the most terrifying thing that you can imagine, the wrath of God for you, so that in freedom you can follow him, minister to him, to a people who don't know this glorious gospel light that we have. Be encouraged today. Know that God loves you and he hears you in Christ. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you that you have revealed yourself in your world, but mostly and most beautifully through your Son. O oh Lord, help us to hide in him. Help us to hide in his righteousness. Help us to boldly approach the throne of grace, for you will never turn a deaf ear to us. We praise you. We thank you. you we magnify your name. O oh Lord, be with my friends in this room. Bless them over their seminary careers. Surround them with your people and empower them, Lord, to serve you in the glorious freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. Copyright 2018, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way, and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.